our parents were very like, you have to achieve, 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 achieve. These are the steps to get to where you are. And there was kind of like a set pattern you must follow to get to X. Whereas now I think kids understand and know that I can get to anywhere. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So as always, I am super excited today uh, to have on a new guest, and we are going to talk about after school, out of school, STEM programming that is incredibly creative. So today I'm very excited to have with us Ulu Ibrahim. And Ulu, um, one of the things that I loved about her backstory, because it's one that I could totally relate to, and so I got a little bit jazzed by that, is that she says that she started exploring technology when her dad brought her home a Gateway 2000 PC told her and her sister that computers were the future. I was also the recipient of a Gateway 2000 PC when they first came out. It's a small, small world. So welcome, Olu. Ah, well, thanks for having me. Wow, I didn't open that. Wow, wow, wow. Um, Gateway 2000 is making a difference. (laughs) You know, there you go. It's all those funny things, right? You know, and I remember when that thing came and like nobody had one of these and it was just like, it was this giant unknown, right? What what is this? What can I do with it? You know, what's it going to mean? So I I very rarely met somebody who actually had one of those. So it was pretty exciting to me. Yes, it was early 90s and we were in our cramped apartment and he brings it home this computer. And yeah, it definitely changed the trajectory for my sisters and I, um, especially being raised in, you know, we were low-income children at the time. So uh, that was, that was, yeah, education was really the way out of poverty and to reach our full potential. And technology was part of that story too, definitely. And you, you, you went forward with that, and literally the last decade or so, you have been heavily involved in a variety of education nonprofits, um, a lot of, of roles um, in advocation for technology, and to the point that um, in 2016, you founded something called Kids in Tech in Lowell, Massachusetts. Yeah, so Kids in Tech is a is headquartered in Lowell, Massachusetts, one of the areas that was heavily involved in the um, Industrial Revolution in the context of U.S. history. Um, but yes, uh, I have some family that lives in Lowell, and um, I saw a need. I was actually looking for volunteer opportunities in the area. I didn't quite see Saw, saw STEM stuff going on, really good STEM work going on, but didn't really see a lot of um, people focus on the T and right with computing skills, the computer literacy skills and the computational thinking skills. So I went around asking kids like, hey, if we focused on how to help you guys learn how to make your own computer or learn any other additional tech skills, would you participate in this program? 
And so we did focus groups and we got feedback from the kids that they wanted they want a real scientist to come into the classroom. They wanted to go on field trips. They wanted to make hands-on learning projects. Um, and they wanted a space to be creative. So based on their feedback and based on my understanding of education, we came up with our tech club program, which is essentially we go on site to schools and other youth serving agencies and provide hands-on learning projects and technology for kids primarily ages 8 to 14, because that's a pivotal time in the kids' educational trajectory. They're like, who am I? What do I want to be? Who do I see around me? What, how, who will I become? Those questions start to formate. So we focus on that group and we go on site. So the, so the educator, like a person who understands pedagogy and structural leadership, they are paired up with STEM professionals uh, who provide another type of leader, um, mentorship and leadership and education, right? They're working on real issues, real challenges at work, but they also want to get back to their community in some way. So that pair goes to the school and then they administer the projects for the kids and they also take the kids on field trips. And then at the end of the academic school year, they have like a little showcase about what they've learned and hopefully all that mentorship, going to different companies, seeing what they're working on learning collaboration skills in a fun, engaging environment, hopefully inspires them, right? To at least pursue tech outside of school or pursue it, you know, in high school too, furthermore and get more in-depth knowledge. But really our goal is to equip, empower, inspire young kids, especially in like um, underserved communities or high-need communities. They may not always have access because we believe that Genius comes from everywhere and untapped geniuses are everywhere. We just have to tap them and hopefully they all become tech leaders and hopefully they all lead our tech innovation economy because we desperately need leaders from everywhere to make sure that the U.S. is strong um, in particular. That's our focus right now. Maybe maybe one day our focus will change but for right now, uh, making sure that the American tech innovation sector is strong. Critically important goals and and the need is absolutely everywhere and I really really appreciate your focus on that sort of 8 to 14 year old we find the same thing at the past foundation the past innovation lab that that that's the moment that we have right and it's not that what happens with kiddos in high school isn't important but the reality is we stand a better chance of a having a meaningful impact inspiring kiddos helping them find their passion um, see the potential of careers they have no idea even exist and it's not enough that you know I can't do what I can't see you know I, I, I can't I can't be also what I don't know and kids don't know so much because they haven't had the opportunity to play and to explore and to experience and you know certainly um, you know what we see and so many others that are out there you know advocating and working so hard you know there's there's many of us right we roll up our sleeves um, to try to get more and more kids excited and jazzed about the potential of STEM. And it's it's not just a worthy endeavor, but, um, you know, back to your point, it's critically important to the future of our country and, and the world for us to have this amazing, diverse group of creative and innovative thinkers who are fearless. You couldn't get a better group of than, than kids, right? You know, they, they haven't learned yet about what's not possible. 
And I always love that because in my mind, what that means is they come to problems. They can take on just about any challenge. And kids are resilient, as as many of us have learned over the years. They're incredibly, incredibly resilient. And I love that you, you, you started by thinking about the fact that every kid is a genius that you encounter, that, that walks in the door, that participates in your program. They have that potential in there. And it's powerful for kiddos. So I want to talk a little bit about, so your, your, how did you get here? So your background beyond the fact that your dad showed up with, with a Gateway 2000, and that was awesome. But the journey between that moment and saying, hey, I want to actually build this innovative STEM program. Was there something along that pathway that in your mind felt like, you know, is a game changer, I have to do this? Because quite frankly, starting new new organizations or new endeavors, it's not an easy thing to do. Yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, starting a new organization is, is hard work. It's like for giving birth to something. Um, uh, literally, yeah, it is. Um, and people often say like, what's your, what's your value add to the space, right? People always want to know if you are new, what is your value add? And for me, it was, it was, I saw it need my community. I saw that the conversation is heavily influenced by coding. I think coding is great. I think me even teach coding. I think kids should know like scratch to see to see plus plus i think they should know all those languages but i also think there's 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 a, there's a space for more comprehensive technology education right you can learn tech through robotics you can learn tech concepts through graphic design there it, it was just broadening the reach of what technology what is technology how can it be used to solve different problems in different industries so i kind of wanted kids to understand how technology was used in different industries. Not that, you know, and, and that's, at that time it was like, it was great. Um, I think there was a lot of initiatives focused on women and people of color and coding. I thought those were all great. I was like, yes, yes, yes. We need all these players in the field. But I felt like there was a need for focusing on younger kids. As you alluded to earlier, we often focus on high school students. And I think it's a little too late. I think more investment dollars need to be focused on younger kids and getting them inspired and engaged and thinking earlier about what they can do. That was one. And then I just wanted kids to have a broad overview of, of, of what tech is and what computer science, computer literacy, like what are all those concepts in a very broad background and not so like singularly focused on one type of technology. So I thought that was what I could bring to the table. I also felt like it was really important that kids learn from people who are who are not necessarily teachers, but they're teachers in the way that they they actually go. They're like real scientists, real technologists, and engineers, and they're working on real everyday problems. And they use technology to solve those problems, and they have those kind of critical thinking skills. So, kind of having those people volunteer once or twice a week and just helping the kids on projects. Not only builds mentorship relationships, we you know it's really crucial for kids to be successful. Even as adults, we need mentorship relationships. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we need a community of supporters. So I figure, you know, we figure like, why not people really working on these problems? So kids can start to see like, oh, I can be a scientist. So-and-so like lives in my neighborhood or close by. Oh my goodness, we have so much in common. We have different, we have similar racial, ethnic backgrounds, or just similar stories in general. Oh my goodness. He loves the Red Sox. I love the Red You know, these, like, 
these are kind of, those are the kind of um, experiences that we know helps kids gravitate towards. At least, at least in, especially in STEM, it's very important that the kids see real scientists and technologists and all engineers to kind of make it real, to make, to connect the dots of like, I got, this is how I got from A to B. And so the kids are like, oh, this is more real. So I think it was a confluence of a lot of factors, just an organization focused on young kids, um, kind of making the push for philanthropic dollars to say, you know, your investment in us will create, you know, more kids who are interested in, in STEM earlier, which is what we need for the pipeline too. And that we are thinking about all aspects of education, which we know is really important, which is really good teaching and really led by really good teachers because we know teacher quality matters. We also know that kids need to learn from people who are not quote unquote teachers, but people in the field. We also know that kids need to like see it, see tech in action. So the field trips are, are really crucial to that. Um, and we also know that kids need to play. I mean, I'm an adult and I like to play. You know, like, I mean, it's even more crucial. It's even more crucial for kids to play. And, you know, school doesn't always afford that, right? There's a structure school. And I think there's a, there's a place for school and there's a reason why school is the way it is. But we also provide structure, but there's also like this structured, mean unstructured where they're like, oh, I, you know, this is why I got this wrong. I fixed it. And so-and-so helped me understand why the robot wasn't working, for example. Or, oh, oh I coded this wrong. Oh, that's why it was like, brown instead of blue when it showed up on the screen oh you know like there's no penalty there's more like learning growing in a supportive environment so i guess i I know that was a little long-winded but just to say that there was a lot of things going on that i thought we could be a value add and those are some of the areas that were a value add and so why not i just why not why not get started and try Well, there's no question that you're incredibly passionate about the work that you do. And the reality is we desperately need people just like you that are out there saying, you know, A, I have have a passion myself, but you also come to, to this problem with this whole set of skills and this recognition around the sort of what and the opportunity um, value that sort of sits out there at that intersection between education and uh, industry career development, right? And that's one of the things that I always find really intriguing because, again, you know, people are all often thinking about we need to, to utilize that that sort of partnership, that relationship opportunity, I guess, if you will, sort of at the collegiate or at the high school level. But they forget, I think, often that younger kids can benefit from those same sort of mentorship opportunities. And certainly by enriching what happens out of school provides hopefully, a better context for what happens in school, right? So that's one of the things that that I sort of love to see. And at the Past Innovation Lab, we have kids who are coming to, you know, uh, summer programs. And it's not uncommon for us, you know, and so much of the work that we do involves the opportunity for kids to play in technology. So again, you know, so much kindred in terms of what you're doing with kids in tech and what we're doing at Past. So it makes it, in my mind, a really, really easy conversation. (laughs) Because the reality of it is, is we let the kids 
play. So maybe we're doing a program on techno fashion. And yes, right, you know, we, we built that program, um, for example, because we were trying to find a hook to get more girls, quite frankly, really, really to understand and invest in why tech, really powerful tech, it was going to have, you know, meaning in their lives. And it could be, you know, everything from learning to 3D print shoes to uh, building wearable technology um, and, and everything in between. Take your pick because the, the, the team that works on developing what the content is for techno fashion, as we call the program. Um, you know, and it's just kind of all over the place. But the reality of it is by letting the kids play, they actually come up with the things, the, the opportunities to use the technology that they're being ex- exposed to or the creative opportunities around what it could be that, you, that nobody's teaching them at all in that moment way faster than all of the adults sitting around the room can. And then when you pair that with industry experts who are actually working on real things, and if the kids have the opportunity to work on that real thing with them, then, oh my gosh, it's like magic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You see it every day. Like you just see the light bulbs going off. And even the adults are learning from the kids too. Oh yeah, absolutely. When it's, being done well, truth be told, the kids are fearless and they're teaching the adults in the moment. The other thing that we often have done with these programs that we have found really, really effective is, you know, part of our aim, which is a little bit different than kids in tech, is that, you know, we are really also trying to change the pedagogical practice in the classroom as well, right? And so one of the things that we're doing is we have been immersing our teachers in training, whether they are new teachers or veteran teachers, but who are wanting to learn how to do applied STEM instruction as the everyday in their classroom instead of the every now and then, if you're lucky, in the classroom, right? So no matter what kind of teacher you are, an English teacher, elementary teacher, a middle school teacher, a science teacher, math teacher, it makes no difference to us. We believe that every classroom could be have, have its baseline, I guess, if you will, steeped in STEM pedagogical instruction. But that is a really, really tough thing if you didn't, you weren't taught that way as a kid, nor you trained that way to become a teacher. And then you're launched into a classroom in a very traditional setting that doesn't necessarily support that. So how do you help folks make the leap? And we learned years ago, well, the kids can help the adults get there if you show them all the way. And so we immerse our adults in some of our student STEM programs as students nice, with the kids, right? Wow. And then we pull them out and do PD and all that other sort of stuff. But the thing that I love about it, the thing that I see is suddenly, right, when you take the artificial barrier away that says the adults have to always lead and have all the knowledge, possess all of it, as soon as you let that go, what we find is the kids are happy to, to lead others down, especially when they're so excited about what it is that they're learning. And I'm sure you see that too in your own programming. Yeah, I absolutely, right? Everybody is a teacher and a, and a student at the same time. And I think that's where the best kind of magic happens. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy to hear that there's other similar organizations to us doing things, having like a similar approach to really integrating STEM into everyday um, it, it's so foundational, right? Yeah. It, it's funny to me. I mean, for those of us who lived it like you, you know, for, for I suspect, you know, a million years, our, our career, we, we, it's really difficult for us to sort of separate out and say, okay, now I'm going to stop doing STEM and I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. Because for us, STEM is literally foundational. It is the building block on, on, 
on top of which everything else exists, right? And I can change it. I can make it look and feel like whatever community it's all happening in. Um, I can change the aesthetics of it. You know, I can weave the art and the story of my community in. I can, I can, I can, I can grab whatever my local community culture is mm-hmm. and I can weave that through it. But the reality is it's the foundation through which great things are possible. Absolutely. It's all, it's them. It's our steam, as some people would like to argue. Steam, steam. <laughs> I, I, I I've been keeping, I've been keeping the acronyms yeah. for years. Yeah, I have go back and forth. I'll say steam. So it's all inclusive. Like, absolutely. Inclusive. Absolutely. Yeah. We need builders and creators of technology. We create, we create the world we live in, right? So We uh, do. Yeah, absolutely. So we need people to think, what does the future look like? And how do we create the world that we want to live, work, and play in yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Looking out my window right now, I, I mean, middle of the afternoon, I see, I still see the night, like the night post, and somebody had to engineer that. I mean, the specific shape, you know, and the electricity that goes through it. Uh, there's an electric grid somewhere, you know, that says it's sometime after dark, you're going to turn on so people can see. Like, it's just, it's everywhere, as you said. It's everywhere. Even the, even we're talking through a computer right now. It's just, the engineering behind the computer, the, the aesthetics, the colors used on the computer. It's just, yeah, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's not going away anytime soon, Never. right? And the reality is for our younger kids, they have been so immersed in, in this world. Lots of folks talk about digital natives. And I actually think you have to take it one step further than that, right? I don't think that quite gets at the true essence of, you know, an entire generation of kiddos who, you know, they, they never known the world without an iPhone or that, that, that personal mobile device. Right. And because they've never experienced a world without that, they process very, very differently. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not just the socio economic or the sociocultural implications of it, but there's physiological, there's fabulous research about how the brains of the kiddos today are very different in some respect from the brains uh, of, of, of kids of the past, right? And part of it is the way they process information. And so they're physiologically developing slightly different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's minute. It's hard to trace and understand. But the reality is, you just step back and look and watch these kiddos. You can tell something's very, very different. And part of it is that they are not afraid of data. They may not know what to do with it yet. And that's where the work that we're all doing collectively helps them be able to figure that out. There's great, um, you know, data programs, camps and whatnot um, that, that feed into all of the technology for kiddos. But they are not afraid of it. No, they're not. They're absolutely not. They're not afraid of a lot of things. That's good. And so I think that there's no limitation to their creativity, which is awesome. I think often, at least, you know, for my generation, the millennial, <laughs> you know, the older, we like the older millennials because there's younger millennials, part of the older millennial crowd. We, you know, we were, I think our, our generation was like, our parents were very like, you have to achieve, 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 achieve. These are the steps to get to where you are. And there was kind of like a set pattern you must follow to get to X. Whereas now I think kids understand and know that I can get to anywhere as long as I have the information, I don't have to set, I don't have to follow the I don't have to follow the rules per se. I can create my own rules, use the information to get to X. Like I know where the des- destination is. And so I can get Yeah, there's just yeah, I see that all the time with the kids. I yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I see that a lot. Very creative, not afraid. 
the sky is truly the limit. Mm -hmm. Which is a wonderful thing because there's so much that they'll be able to do with that. But I do want to spend a few minutes talking about the things that you perceive or, or you see on a regular basis that are the biggest barriers so let's think about the fact that within five years, because the rate and pace of technological change right now is just so incredibly rapid, and I suspect we're going to see technology and use of technology amped up even more um, after we all uh, find our way outside of a global pandemic, right? Technology is playing a really, really key role in all of our lives right now in ways that we probably, those those living in, in, the, in technology probably understood, but it made me focus in data day maybe just didn't really quite understand what a role it was going to play. And so I'm really curious um, where you see the current barriers and the barriers in the near future that you're going to have to collectively, I use the, 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 the giant we here, as it relates to providing students with opportunity and experience. Where, where do you see some of the biggest constraints that we really, really have to wrestle with sort of urgently um, to be able to move STEM programming and access to more students further faster? Yeah, that's a great question. Oh my goodness, that's a that's an awesome question. It's kind of a loaded it's, one, I know. Yeah, it's a very loaded one. Um, but it is it is a question we should be contemplating right now, actually. So it is it, it, it's very relevant. I would say a couple of things. Every there's still kids who don't have access to reliable internet. That problem needs to be solved with the providers and with government. Uh, like we need people to understand, have access to com- access to internet and have access to computers. I also really think we probably need school fundamentally change how it's. I I think skills kids. There's something about interacting with people, and I think that's a very important person. But I do think that COVID has kind of shown that. Kids can learn in and outside of school and they can learn through a computer too now. Um, and so how will the school de- how will the school change change? How will school be reimagined during the school day? And how will um, after school providers continue to complement what's happening in school and vice versa? So I do I do think that there is there's a great opportunity right now actually for nonprofits like ourselves, school districts and government, state officials to really think about the infrastructure behind technology and investments behind that. How do we, how does the government do it? How do everyday people support nonprofits or foundations? How do we support, like how do all the key players support ourselves to make sure that we are, we have the digital infrastructure we need so the kids can um, learn and not get left behind. I, you know, I think the kids will It'll be, it'll be interesting to see kids will probably start, you probably can have like apps or things in your phone that kids can learn right from their phone. And so I, I do think the classroom is definitely going to change in this futuristic world. It may not be as futuristic as we think. It may be right around the corner. Those were my thoughts around it. I, I'm kind of curious about your thoughts, actually. I, but those are like my initial thoughts about it. Like these are, these are big structural systematic things that need to happen. So they do are, you think... Yeah. Yeah, I do. I agree with you. I mean, we definitely see the same thing. Almost everybody that um, that I talk to or work with, you know, both in the U.S. Center and around the globe, I, you know, I hear this over and over again that 
One of the things that, of course, that global pandemic has has done is in, on some respects, right, it has it's increased the divide between the haves and the have-nots, however you want to define that, right? And, and broadband access is one of the big key pieces, right? If we don't have enough technology and, and, and we can't deploy it fast enough, appropriately enough, um, with enough bandwidth to truly do what needs to happen, right? Then the reality is we've got we've got kids out there who are not able to switch to virtual learning because the technology doesn't make it possible. It's either not there, the schools um, don't have the devices to be able to hand out to kids. And even if they did, the kids may not have internet at home or access to it, even close to their homes. And so you have all of those components. And so I do think that without question, that is one of the things that we cannot leave this experience without a a very comprehensive and funded plan to change that paradigm forever, right? Because at the end of the day, access to knowledge and information is power. You know, it is. So I would agree with you that that's one of those those barriers that I think that we, we, we have to figure out how to fully overcome. I think that one of the other ones that's really interesting and intriguing to me is... You know, like you, we have to, I feel very, very strongly, and I've, I've been saying this for years, and so folks folks who know me, this is no surprise, you know, I've been talking about the fact that we have to reimagine the schoolhouse. It's no longer working because it's not relevant to the world we live in today. It's not that it's bad. It's just, you know, it's a system, right? It, and it's an engineered system. And, you know, as designed and developed a hundred or so years ago, it was doing exactly what it needed to do, but we've not truly innovated this system in a very, very long time. What we've done is we've, we keep trying to tweak it and we keep trying to fix it or modify it. But reality is that, you know, that, that artificially engineered system can only be modified so many times before it has to be completely re-engineered. You know, and and I think that what I have seen over the years is we keep coming up with these new initiatives. We throw a, a lot of resources, government dollars towards them. And then we forget that what happens then is we patch a hole or a leaky pipeline for those who love to talk about STEM and the leaky pipeline to get us there. You know, those are Band-Aids. They're not long-term structural fixes or redesigns. And so until we do that I, and we truly, truly think about what does it mean to be a learner in the modern world. And, you know, so, and what is teaching and learning supposed to look and feel like until we sort of get at the sort of core of some of those pieces, I think that we're going to struggle. But I do think there's an intriguing opportunity that actually ties back to the work that you and I both do. And because I believe very strongly that formalized education can learn a tremendous amount about engaging students, teaching and learning from the informals. Uh-huh. Right. Think about what you do in that after-school environment. Think about what happens for the kids and tech clubs um, that you deploy in and around your community. Those kids are learning and engaging with you in very, very different ways than they often do in a traditional classroom. Right, but there's space for that, and I think policy. You know, as you know, you're you're an educator too, so you know policy just takes what kids learn for how many minutes per day, and policy also dictates gym and other other electives. But idea, I mean, I'm I'm gonna remain hopeful that parents and kids themselves and policymakers, they all have 
hopefully there's space that everybody has to say what this reimagining of the school day looks like and how do kids also feel supported? Because I know for some of our kids, we had to deploy technology because they just didn't have access, right? And then some of those language barriers too. So like some of our volunteers and staff members and myself were like trying to speak to kids as best as we knew, like in Spanish or French or whatever. It's like as much as we do to kind of make sure. So kids were... Kids are very resilient because a lot of the kids were helping us translate with their parents too. On the front. But like, I guess that back to your point, yeah, there is an opportunity, and I hope hopefully people grab at the opportunity, really include all stakeholders, stakeholders in in play, and say, hey, like, how do kids learn? But I know a lot of kids also miss their friends. Like they love, you know, we all love the in person interaction. So how do we keep those in, in play, but also be flexible enough. So God forbid that COVID-19 doesn't happen again, but just even if COVID-19 doesn't happen again, how do we, how do we create a more flexible world for learning and ensure that kids are not being left behind because they don't have the tools to like create the flexible learning. So how do we try to create that flexible learning for most kids? Um, These are all really complex questions and yeah, you know, these are just, lots of conversations, but I'm going to remain hopeful that people take the opportunity now to start thinking about it instead of not doing it. Uh, This is a crucial time to do it. Definitely. I agree with that. It is a crucial time and there's so much opportunity. And so I am very, very excited about the work that you were doing. And I want to thank you so very, very much for taking time out of your day uh, to share the conversation with us. So thank you very much. Thank you. I, I was delighted to be here. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.